So, welcome everyone to another episode of the Daily Medieval Podcast, and uh, here we have another one of our interview um, episodes, and I'm joined with the most amazing and fascinating person um, to date, which is um, someone who is a best-selling author, uh, has a magazine, has all these different projects under their belt, prizes, all sorts of things you could ever imagine. Um, and it's just a very down to earth and just wonderful person. So I'd love to welcome to the podcast, Deb Hunter. Hey Luke, how are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. Uh, wonderful to have you here. Um, so I guess let's just jump right in to kind of go back to the beginning. Where okay. did your pursuit of history begin? Specifically um, Tudor history, am I right? That is my fascination, one of them, yes. And and thanks very much for having me today. I have to mind my manners and thank <laughs> you for that. Um, but my love of history goes a long way back. Our farm in Tennessee um, used to be the Cherokee Nation until 1838. So I grew up finding arrowheads and spearheads and... Um, there's a cave nearby, so, you know, there was a lot of Cherokee information still mm. around, and there still is. And then our farm is literally one of the spots the Union forces went into Chattanooga, Tennessee. So not only was there Cherokee stuff in our yard and on our farm, but there was Civil War stuff. So I kind of grew up knowing that history was a thing, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. And, um, and then just a little bit of a story, kind of a funny thing. When I was in what we call the seventh grade, which means we're 12 years old, I was as tall as I am now, and I'm 5'11". So my teacher, for whatever reason, my history teacher, when I'm leaving class one day, hands me a book and says, read this. She was as tall as you are. <laughs> and, and it was a it was a book about Mary Queen of Scots. Now, why she would give a 12-year-old a book about a queen mm. that was beheaded, who knows? But it's set about a lifelong fascination with the Tudors and Tudor history and and the 16th century. So there you have it. That's amazing. So I, I always find that fascinating about so many people have a very particular figure that helps inspire them. Um, to where they are now and just quickly I mean it's so fascinating as well with what you say about all the Cherokee stuff I mean how important do you think kind of cultural heritage and, and having a look at these and using these kind of artifacts to help teach kind of and educate about history expose people to history well they're very useful but I have to say anything we find on the farm we we leave it never leaves the oh, farm really? and oh, wow, my yeah. entire family yes my entire family has that agreement because it doesn't really belong to us yeah it's their what they left behind so out of respect for them it stays where it is so yeah. but I can't understand the importance of children seeing those so mm. I, I know some people leave collections and things and there's museums so it is very beneficial in learning things like that like you probably didn't know this part of tennessee was the cherokee nation yeah, yeah. less than 200 years ago so it's amazing you know. stuff so it, it really is it, it, and definitely it was is. considered a sovereign nation and recognized yeah. by the british 
Wow, that's amazing. So we have kind of your early roots. And then so now we have all things Tudor. So what was your decision to create the magazine? How did that come about? Well, again, there's there's always a story. I am Southern. <laughs> it's, I love <laughs> so it. It's all good. <laughs> you're always going to get a story. Um, the magazine came about simply because I am a stage four cancer patient. And it's very difficult to take time to write a book. And I have to say, there are publishers that have reached out to me and invited me to write. And I'm very thankful for that, but I can't commit to anything right now. Mm. So I started a magazine because I thought that was a great way for me to write essays and mm. keep current, keep my skills sharpened. And also give new people, new students like, like yourself, a chance to get published early on. And mm. also, for instance, my history editor is a graduate of Cambridge, even though he's oh. American mm. and he's retired, but he likes to contribute. It's so there's this real microcosm of Tudor history lovers from, you know, from this stage to this stage. And, and it's just a wonderful way to bring everyone together and make yeah. things available. Yeah. And no, a new definitely. kind of way. No, definitely. I think that's so inspiring because I, I mean, I've spoken to so many people who have find a lot of toxic experiences with academia and, and some of the ways in which it can be where you have more established people kind of being a bit more protective over letting new people come in. So it's absolutely brilliant to see the opposite of that happening, really. Oh, well, thank you. Um, yeah. I, I'm not an academic. I do have a BA in history, but I went into corporate America. Mm. So um, I never pursued my degrees. And now I, I wish I would have at least have got my PhD and then I've gone into it. But such is life. <laughs> Such is life. <laughs> well, it's it's definitely worked out because uh, so you founded the magazine in 2019, if I'm right, um, and since then um, you've built up a magnificent brand uh, in just what I mean, what's that about three years? You've gathered 35,000 members across the world. So I mean, yes. I mean, that's just absolutely incredible. How how did you grow it? How did you undertake such a vast project and build up such a strong brand, do you think? Um, it started, like you say, in 2019. Thank you for knowing that. After a cancer surgery, I couldn't do anything. So my husband and my best friend said, why don't you start a group about this thing you talk about all the time, which was history. And... Um, there were 40 people and I just thought that was great. 40 people, friends and family. And, you know, we talked about on this day and different things like that. And next thing I know, we had 2000 people <laughs> and I thought that was the biggest group I could mm. ever even imagine. And then we had 10,000 people and then 20,000. And, you know, you have to think that was only three years ago. Yeah. And now it's, I'm very thankful. It's the largest tutor group on Facebook. Wow. So um, what I decided early on 
was to let people have fun with mm -hmm. history, not to, um, I don't allow fights. Um, mm -hmm. I, I kind of run it like a, a, a Tennessee bar, one strike and you're out. So if you can't read nice. the rules, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you can't read the rules and behave yourself, you're gone. So, mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's one reason it's grown because you don't see a lot of fights like you do good, yeah. in a lot of groups and nothing against other groups. That's, mm. you know, there's some great groups out there, but uh, that's just how I run mine. And um, we have everything from scholars to novices to people that have just watched Becoming Elizabeth and want to mm. know more. And everyone's very understanding of where they are yeah. in the learning curve. Yeah. No, that's fantastic. I mean, do you find it difficult with such a big audience to be able to, I mean, not so much please everyone, but be able to provide information for both scholars, but also general audiences? Because in a way, you can't please everyone. Exactly. And you can't. And um, the members are absolutely great. I have mm. to tell you, there are some incredible people that are very curious and they share their travels they share what they've learned so it's not just me every day yeah. i have to show you something funny though the other day i did post something and someone not knowing i was leader of the group said some people just want attention <laughs> <laughs> and i thought that was kind of funny so yeah. um a, a little bit embarrassed for them so um uh, i but didn't I'm, really say anything but i, I yeah. thought that was hilarious but so I mean, you, when there's that many people you do kind of get lost yeah. in in the crowd mm, no definitely <laughs> but at the same time i mean when you have stuff like that i mean it seems like you've taken it very much so in your stride but if the if you do come across negative reviews or criticism how do you cope with that because with such a vast audience, that can be something that's very difficult. I don't really read reviews. Mm. My husband and my editor do. And yeah. that way, if it's if there are critiques that can be used, mm. we use them. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I feel like everyone is entitled to their own opinion, mm. whether I like it or not. And... Um, just kind of let it go with that because not everyone is going to love you yeah it's that simple so and and again people have their own opinion about things so mm. that's just the way it is no definitely so i want to move on so away from the magazine and now towards more of your authorship because you have written kind of a vast number of books and you are a best-selling writer and i find it fascinating that Am I right that you published under, uh, I guess, a, a pen name, a pseudonym, um, for a long time, uh, Hunter S. Jones? Um, can you just tell me a bit about why you decided to use a pen name, and then what made you, yeah, what made you do that? When I started out, I had no idea I was going to become as popular as I did, mm. and still, in the 21st century, men sell more books than women and I thought well I'll do this for one year and I'll yeah. use a guy's name and then I, I can just erase everything <laughs> <laughs> and it didn't work that way so um but what I've done after I was diagnosed in 2018 of course mm. it it was over a year before I could even 
take time to write again because mm. I had so many surgeries and things. But I found from not being as active on social media, a lot of people had forgotten about Miss Jones, as I yeah. used to call her. Um, and because of the group, I started becoming known as myself. So I started writing as me and I've pretty much retired her. Her books are still out there. Mm. <laughs> but um, I think my bio says that I, I published as Hunter Jones. Mm. No, that's fascinating. Um, so now, um, so your writing itself typically combines history with uh, I guess the you could say the erotic. Um, what drew you to this genre? Because I know that many people obviously regard the the scandalous nature of the Tudors as being, you know, full of kind of eroticism and, and, and behind the scenes. So, what made you focus on this to write about? I have, I don't I don't know. I guess because <clears throat> because I like it, and it seems like people are always interested in it, and it's. It really doesn't get a lot of coverage, does it? Mm -hmm. People are interested in the courtiers and in the wives and what they wore and what they ate. But we don't really know what went on behind closed doors that much, do we? Mm. No, definitely. I mean, so when, you, when you're writing, um, do you feel a responsibility to, you know, stick as much as you can to the facts or, or are you... Do you feel safe to be able to kind of not so much bend the truth, but kind of fill in the gaps how you imagine it to be? If it's fiction, I'm, mm. I make it up. If yeah. it's history, um, I know one of my bestsellers I wrote on sex in the American Civil War. Mm. And there's a lot of comical things that yeah, people yes. wrote. Um, for instance, one general wrote that a union general wrote to another general saying the women of Nashville are, are going to, um, how did he put it? The women of Nashville are going to defeat the union troops or something mm -hmm. like that, because, um, anyway, you can imagine. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, th there's a lot of comical things that are there for us that are yeah. documented. And if you present them in, in the light, of their times and we look at them now it it gives it a whole different veneer mm. no definitely definitely um and so when you're kind of because you've written a vast number of books and of course like i say you are a bestseller did you know when because you hear about people when they make tv shows you know be it game of friends or whatever you, you hear them they're like oh yes we knew it was a hit from the beginning i mean did you know that kind of when writing it in the early days or even forming the idea that oh this actually could be something pretty pretty awesome thank you for asking that and i have to say no um in early 2020 a publisher approached me of course that was the the year of the pandemic the main year and wanted to put together a book and of course, with what I was going through, it was a little difficult, but I took, instead of starting from scratch, I had started a history book and I had started a fiction book. So what I did was work with my editors to combine them mm. and do a time travel book. But 
we were hoping it would hit the USA bestseller list, but there's really no guarantee. But fortunately it did. But I have to say it was great fun writing. So if fun has anything to do with the way readers will take a book, then yes, I did have a premonition, but I never thought it would do as well as it did because it debuted at number 59 Oh, on the wow. USA Today bestsellers list. Wow, that's amazing. I, I, and I, it's interesting you say there, obviously, about the f- fun aspect. Do you find, I mean, is there a key when to, to writing such a popular and widely received book? Is, is there a certain aspect that mm-hmm. you think that readers find that's well received by readers, is what I'm trying to say? <laughs> um, thank you for asking that. Um, Oh, and I do have the USA Today stuff documented, by the way. So if you ever need to see it, I have it. <laughs> um, I think the best part is making your characters human. Mm. You discover what they're going to do. Sometimes they do things that you're not expecting to write. And I really love that part of it, yeah. Make, making them real. Do you, do you draw from your own life or from people that you know and kind of maybe to make them human, you know, a certain quirk or something that you know someone has that you'll pinch that in? Well, my husband's not in the room, so I'll say this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> in, in my bestseller, mm. my, my hero of the novel is this tall good-looking dutch guy and (laughs) and i did base him on a guy i met once at at a business convention Uh, i just met him no no, no connotations there but he was so stunningly beautiful Mm. that uh, i thought well i'll just make him the hero in in my book and make him a rock star because you know that's that's the way should be so um you know there's a lot of fiction so i can't Mm. say it's necessarily about people i know but people i've seen that have left an impression on me would would be better phrased and and sometimes i know people do use people they know but um i just have a very vivid imagination so Mm. there's there's no loss there to making things up (laughs) <laughs> that's brilliant <laughs> i mean so do you have um do you have a particular writing process you know do you kind of lock yourself away in a room and then write you know ten thousand words um or you know or do you are you just able to just go at it i am one of those i do the binge writing like you're saying okay. i don't sit down i know when i interviewed Alison Weir Mm. she's very regimented she said she writes 1500 words a day she researches and writes and I admire that very much because I am one of those people that will lock myself in a room and say just don't bother me (laughs) (laughs) until I finish this because I'll I'll have it Mm. you know I'll I'll know what I'm gonna do but I do outline things outline it so i know where i'm going you don't always stay on that path but at least i have an outline but yeah Mm. i'm a binge writer definitely i've heard from from writers as well about kind of the main thing is to kind of just get it out there even if it's maybe not too good i mean have you ever found yourself 
I mean, I guess writing pages and pages and then going, actually, you know what? No. And then just scrapping it all and, and kind of starting again. I don't waste any words. So mm. if I do scrap something, I will copy, paste it and save it in another doc okay. and label it as unused because you never know when you may need those words for something else. Mm. But I have a great copy editor who has been known in, in one of my diatribes, like you were just talking about, to simply put, you know, highlight everything and say, what does this mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, there's always going to be things like that. And like you mm. say, that first draft is really just what's coming out of your head. So you have to shape it and mold it mm. and make it the best it can possibly be. Yeah. But getting it on paper on you know computer whatever um is the most important part of the process and then after mm. that you can fine tune it mm, yeah no definitely so you write this book it becomes a bestseller do you find then you have a bit of pressure when you have such an ex uh, a success to be able to replicate it and and to be able to try and do it again <laughs> uh, and again and again afterwards actually for me mm. I did it. So mm. I have no need to do it again. And that's why I started the magazine because I wanted a new challenge. Yeah. So I'm more that type of personality okay. than let's do this. Let's keep doing this. It's like, yeah. okay, I did that. Let's do something new now. Yeah. So I guess, is that also then the same way in which then you've also started your podcast as well? Um, that kind of a new project to kind of sink your teeth into kind of thing. Exactly. And thank you for asking that, Luke. Last year, what, when we were coming out of COVID and still kind of in lockdown, I met so many great historians that were willing to talk on Clubhouse. Yeah. And I was really amazed. I reached out to legends like Leander Delisle, and um, she's just one example went on Clubhouse with me. Mm. We had a great talk, had a nice audience. Um, same with Matthew Lewis and Nathan Amin, you know, had a, a great chat. Um, I had got to talk to people like Dan Snow and Charles Spencer. And I was really amazed at the enthusiasm people had for listening mm. to what they had to say. So I thought, well, let's try this podcast thing and mm. just see how it works. So instead of Clubhouse, that way people can go back and listen to it. Because at that point, you couldn't take Clubhouse talks. Right. Okay, so yeah. I started my podcast earlier this year. And I have to tell you, I have been so thankful for how it's been received. It's really gone mm. over very well. <laughs> Is there a particular um episode or person that you've kind of interviewed that, that really stands out as being like oh this was so worth it of course there is but um i love all of them so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love everyone that has taken the time to make it happen mm. because you know they're taking time out of their day yeah no exactly exactly so i mean you've got then the magazine you've got the podcast as well is there you know what's the, the what's the future of all things Tudor look like then? Have you got kind of another thing that you'd maybe want to try try your hand at as well? 
one thing I've been doing, and it's kind of come out of the podcast, is I have been working to make my Facebook group a community. Okay, yeah. Where people learn, people share, um, like a thriving little community. Mm. So right now I'm working with the men in New York City. They're doing a huge tutor exhibit that starts October 10th. And I'm part of their, their press group. And we're offering, well, I got to post it on my blog a few days ago. Mm. So it was one of the first blasts to go out. So that means the people in my group got to learn about it first. So they could start planning if they could go see it. But mm. we're talking about some articles have possibly never even left England before. Wow. So there things have are on loan from around the world, from the VA, from the Rijksmuseum, from um from from the Crown. Mm. It's just going to be an amazing exhibit, but we're also working with some other entities that give our members discounts if they want to become members of these groups mm. or do this or do this. So um, it, I'm really working to make it more of a community where they get something of value. Yeah. No, that's uh, just being yeah. a, a member. Yeah, no, that's, that's, I mean, that's extraordinary. And that's something, I mean, that you'd always kind of hopeful when you make kind of content like this. I mean, something that I've personally wanted to do as well is, is with the YouTube channel, be able to have potentially like days allocated to other creators as well. Kind of like what you say about giving back in the same way that you let new writers uh, kind of write articles for the magazine, have kind of a YouTube channel, like what you see with, for instance, history hits where you know, Tuesdays is with this person, Wednesdays you can expect something from this person and be able to build that bustling community as well. I think it's it's really something special to be able to get the chance to do that. Well, history has such a bad rap because it's just known as a bunch of dates and names. But yeah. when you realize that these were actual people mm. and they wore clothes, they ate food, they, you know, they were people mm. and how we can preserve that part of history and share it with each other it makes it more meaningful and I, I have been very fortunate I've been able to travel a lot I've been able to see things that other people can only imagine seeing and I want to give other people those opportunities whether mm. they can do it virtually or if I can connect them to someone that can make it happen for them or let them know, well, today Hardwick Hall is going to be free for the members of our group. If you're there, uh, you can mm. gain free entry, just things like that. You know, it, it just, give, like you say, I can give back based on my own experiences. Mm. Yeah, no, definitely. And again, it's something, I mean, I especially get it with medieval history, where whenever I say to someone, oh, uh, I do medieval history. I can see them glass-eyed and, and uh, <laughs> switching off. So it's definitely the ability to be able to bring some light. Because I will always attest that medieval history is extremely vibrant and it's not boring at all. But the way yeah. it's the way it's taught in schools and everything, it's just it's so tragic in a way um, because it's so they teach it so blandly. Really, I'm always amazed when I go to the UK how 
you do have so much history. Mm. And yeah, definitely. I, I mean, just thousands of years of it. <laughs> yeah, no, it is, it is an extraordinary, extraordinary place. And I, especially where I am in Norwich as well. I mean, it's got the highest density of medieval churches. It's, it's a bustling medieval city. And it's amazing to also have kind of a history around you as well in the buildings and the places you go. Um, which I guess you may not necessarily get in other countries as well. Yeah, that's true. Especially over here, we don't. Mm. Yeah. So, but um, in any case, so what um, advice would you be able to give to someone wanting to become a best-selling author like yourself? You have to just get started. Mm. You know, just write. Um, the thing I. I would say is don't quit your day job. And um, the second thing is just write. Mm. Just, you know, even if you get rejected, just keep putting things out there. You don't have to have a publisher anymore. You can do things independently, but having a good content editor and a good copy editor, those are two things that, a lot of people don't see a need for, but they are well worth the money because mm -hmm. if everything's about the presentation, so make make everything nice. Yeah. So the readers enjoy your work. Well, I'll be I'll be sure to say that on board because I'm about to start writing a book as well. So I'll be sure to um, keep that in mind as well. <laughs> well, you'll need three editors. You'll also need a history editor yes, to make sure yeah. you have that correct as well. So that's mm. an, another thing about history that it makes it a little more difficult to write than fiction. Mm. Fiction, we can just kind of make it up, yeah. you know, but history, you've got to have the documentation and it's got to be correct. So you'll, you'll be able to do it. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, I, I'm, I said to the publisher that I would start it in September this month and uh, it keeps coming over in my mind and I'm like, Oh, okay. I've maybe have signed up for something a bit more than I can chew. <laughs> well, I will Let's tell see. you one thing. You don't have to write a book the way it's written. Yeah. So if you want to write chapter four first, mm. you can do that. That's some great advice someone gave me because I was kind of at a block one day and they were like, yeah. if you have in your mind how you're going to end it, go ahead and, and write the ending. And that way your brain will say, okay, I've done that. And they taught me not to just sit down and try to mm. write it from the beginning to the end, just to write it when I wanted to write it. And yeah. and that has helped a lot. No, and it takes a lot of pressure off too, because <laughs> there's always going to be something that you like better mm. than other parts. So that way you can write your favorites and then go, I've just got that one chapter that I really don't care about now mm. all i have to do is knock that out definitely well thank you ever so much for answering all those questions and just being such a wonderful person it's been brilliant thank you ever so much for coming on well thank you luke and i wish you all good things for your podcast thank you very much hopefully hopefully i'm able to make it somewhat close to what you've built Oh, how sweet you are. Thank you very much. Well, um, let's, I hope 
this time next year, we're both extremely successful and <laughs> your book's a hit and we can have another podcast and <laughs> you can tell me how you became successful. Oh, that, I'll look forward to that. I'll look forward to that. But in the, in the meantime, uh, is there any, um, any kind of projects, social media, whatever it may be that you'd like to draw people towards who are watching that can kind of know a bit more about you and, and listen to what you've got to say? You can find podcast, Facebook group, magazine, Twitter, Instagram, everything is all things Tudor. It's a franchise. So just follow me there. My personal handle is the Deb ATL for Atlanta. And um, you'll find me on Facebook with a blue check. I don't have a check for some reason on Instagram or Twitter, but we'll see what happens. Scandalous. ridiculous check who knows how they <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah I, I do follow back when mm. i see someone's followed me i i don't get notifications so I, I miss a lot of things but if someone follows me and i don't follow back just drop me a message and say deb i just followed you and i will follow you back wonderful well there we go well thank you anyone um watching um, I do hope you enjoyed it. Like I say, you've got all those links that you can go to. But if not, then also look at the description where I'll put all the links in. Um, and in the meantime, also look at some previous episodes that, I, that I've recorded and some of our other interviews from amazing authors to archaeologists and scuba divers. It's, uh, there's everything. <laughs> Thank you ever so much. And there we go.